0: Everyone, welcome to the Studio Podcast. First of all, just want to say thanks for listening. We are excited to get this podcast up and running. If you are new to Studio, we are a church in Greenville, South Carolina. Our heart is to create a place where God and people meet so beautiful things can happen and beautiful things are created. Thanks for listening. And with that, let's get right to it. And tonight is actually a a topic that's actually, I think, incredibly important. I think every topic is, but this one has a special place in my own heart. It's my most rawest, it's my most deepest, if you will, in regard to topic to talk about. I believe it's incredibly important and it's relevant to every human being on the face of the earth, and I'm talking to you. So it's very relevant to everyone in this room. But I want to start off with a story. And it it took place in the mid-1900s. Before advances in technology were made, breaking the sound barrier seemed impossible. Going from transonic speed to supersonic speed was unheard of in the early 1900s. By the 1940s, many engineers were still saying it couldn't be done. That there was a limit to how high we could fly. That the sound barrier was not meant to be crossed but some engineers did believe and worked to prove themselves right. The sound barrier was broken by Major General Chuck Yeager. Before his flight, at least two other pilots had attempted and ended up giving their life. Why? Because during that time, right before you hit the sound barrier, there was a violent shaking of the plane, and the pilot made fatal mistakes They tried to slow down and in so lost control and the planes crashed. When Yeager went up, the same exact thing happened. The plane shook violently as he approached that transition point, which is around 717 miles per hour. And while his first instinct was to to let up, slow down, or even try to turn around and give up, he insisted, decided to push harder and go faster and continue full steam ahead. Then it happened. The famous sonic boom that was heard by those on the ground, he had done it. He had broken the sound barrier. And you know what he said? He felt immediately after that smooth sailing. I believe our future is on the other side of a barrier. You know, this is one of those talks where if, if you're not in this particular season, you don't realize how relevant it will be relevant to you at some point. And some of you may even say, man, I wish I heard this a while ago. So my, my uh, encouragement to every person in this room is pay attention, write some notes down because at some point this may come in handy. Can we do that tonight? Yeah. I'm making all of you nervous. You're like, what are we talking about? Tonight, I want to talk about a very distinct part of being a human, and that's called emotions. It's called what we feel. I remember the young boy just feeling like there's this tornado is inside of me. And it was chaotic. It was confusing. It was... was, unsettling in many ways. Something would happen, and it was like this tornado just got activated inside. And, and as a young boy, I remember just like not sure what to do with it. I would cry very easily. I was, my parents said I was very good at expressing myself. And so as a young boy, and I didn't realize it, but I, I looking back, I realized I, I knew how to feel deeply. I felt everything deeply. And to this day, I still do. And But it was interesting as a young boy, not, not sure what to do or how to handle this tornado, as I classically used to call it, is I would just go live in my head. And it was really good in the head because everything quieted down. The tornado just kind of was no longer around. I wasn't confused. I wasn't unsettled. Uh, there wasn't any more chaos. It was like, oh, I'm just going to live in my head. And obviously, at some point, that, that doesn't work anymore. You know, there's a story in the Bible about Jacob, and at the end of Genesis, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you, it's in around the 30th something chapter, and there's quite a number of chapters about this young boy named Jacob. And Jacob and Esau, it's one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture, but there's a story of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob was the youngest, and Esau was the oldest. And Jacob actually goes on to be known as the great deceiver. Now, Jacob's name in that context was deceiver. If your name is Jacob, it's been redeemed. So don't take it personally at all. But in the context of this story in Scripture, Jacob's name actually meant deceiver. And Jacob was actually taught by his mom to deceive. And there's this story where Esau had the birthright because he's the oldest, and Jacob is the youngest. And Esau was a very hairy individual. You can read about it in scripture. They describe the sheer amount of hair on his arm that when you touched his arm, you thought you were touching an animal. That's how much hair, hairy Esau was. And so Esau was out hunting. He was a hunter. And his father, Isaac, was going blind. And Jacob's father, Isaac, as well. And and the mom, mom told Jacob, Listen, your brother's out. Why don't you make this meal? And then you can get the birthright of your brother. So, we obviously find this deep affection from the mother to Jacob that he loved, she loved Jacob, just as the father loved Esau. And I think it's important to understand that every family has unique dynamics. Every family, every experience, our upbringings, our. our did you realize that there's something that connects your past to your present and in some way will deeply impact your future? And it's called your emotions. The stuff you've been through, the stuff that you've navigated, the loss, the grief, the excitement, the triumph of life, all the mountains, the valleys, and the deserts, and the dark nights of the soul that you've experienced up until this point in life has actually shaped you and formed you. The question is, are you willing to confront and come face to face with what you're feeling deeply so you can make sure you step into the future that you were actually designed for? And the challenge is, is in the church, we've not done the best job of talking about this. And we've made some attempts, and I'll address those in a little bit. And so tonight really is understanding that my past is actually affecting my present. The question is, will it continue to affect my future? And you have to make a decision tonight. You have to make a decision at some point that how you've, been, how you've experienced life, how you've been shaped and formed by experience, the goods and the bads, you have to make a decision like, am I going to continue to stay in this space where it defines me, or am I going to break through the barrier and become even more fully alive? The title tonight is Being Fully Alive. So back to the story of Jacob. And so his mom teaches him how to deceive his dad. So Jacob, Jacob is now the deceiver. And when his older brother finds out that he stole the birthright, what do you think Jacob did? He fled he took off. He became a fugitive. And at Jacob the fugitive, he runs to another territory and he runs into a man that had beautiful daughters. So much so that he's like, I want to marry that one, the younger one. And so he worked out a deal with Laban and Laban said, you have to work for me for X amount of year. And Jacob's like, sounds great. I'm in. So Jacob works for Laban for X amount of years, and at the end of the X amount of years, he goes to Laban and says, okay, I paid the price, I've, I've worked for you, i fulfilled our agreement, and I want to marry a daughter. And it's a weird story, it's actually very complicated, it's it, it kind of like, I don't know how this took place, but somehow Jacob ends up in bed with the wrong daughter. And he wakes up in the morning, and he goes, wait, this is not the one I worked X amount of years for. So he goes back to the in-father-in-law, his new now father-in-law, and said, what's going on here? I did not work for her. I worked for her. And the father said, oh, my oldest daughter needs to be married first. It's funny that your dysfunction, you usually find somebody else in life that's better at it than you. (laughs) And when you do, it's an amazing moment to change. That's a whole other topic, but we'll leave that one there for now. So he works an X amount of more years for the daughter that he really wanted to marry. So now he's running for his life. His brother wants to kill him because he stole his birthright. So Jacob is now a deceiver. He's been out deceived, he is a hated man by his brother. And there comes a point where he hears news that Esau is coming to meet him. And Jacob panics. But by now, Jacob is very wealthy. He's found a way to become wealthy, not by the most righteous means. I'll just put it that way. He was very conniving, he was great at deception, and he was very creative on getting wealthy. So now he's an incredibly wealthy man. He hears about his brother that is coming to get him. And there's this point in the story where he begins to panic, understandably so. And he thinks, okay, I need to divide all my wealth. I'm gonna put, put him in different companies because if he attacks this one, I still have all this. And you can see him just trying to figure out what am I gonna do? My brother's coming to see me. And so, he, if you get into the story, he basically says, okay, this is what we're gonna do I'm gonna have a procession of my wealth. So he begins to divide his wealth in like a procession. All right, you go now, you go now. And he basically wanted to send his brother a message. I am very wealthy and powerful. It's interesting when you have a dysfunction like Jacob, you just project what you want people to see. So here's this moment, Jacob, like, I'm wealthy, and I want you to see all my flock, all my wives, all my children, all my servants. And so he sends them out, but then he realizes he's got to come face to face with God. So he sends his family, he camps them here. He goes to the other side of the creek, and he begins to call out to God. And then all night long, Jacob wrestles what they say with a man who ends up being an angel of the Lord. And I don't know how this works, but somehow Jacob was able to apprehend this angel, this man, and he would not let him go. And the angel's like, listen, the sun's coming up. I'm done doing this wrestling thing. You need to let me go. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the angel says, fine, and dislocates his hip. It's one of the most mysterious passages of of Scripture. So Jacob's hip gets dislocated. And then the angel, the man says, I bless you. Your name is no longer deceiver. It is now Israel. Now, Jacob had a limp the rest of his life. When we're talking about our emotions, something that we need to understand that our future is actually on the other side of how you process and deal with your emotions. And at some point in your life, you come face to face with you. You can sweep it under the rug, and that's what we've been teaching in the church. Just declare more scriptures. Just say more declarations. Get X person to pray for you. I love all of that, and I think it's important, and I think it's crucial, and I'm not knocking on it, but I'm saying sometimes that is just simply sweeping under the rug what actually needs to be confronted. And at some point, the the more you sweep under that rug, that rug's not going to be big enough to cover everything. It's going to now compound in such a way that it it will pop. It will show up in some area of life. So we have to ask the question, are emotions wrong or bad? Are they are they, what is this thing? What is this, as I called it, the young kid looking back going, it was the tornado. I had no idea what to do with these emotions. So I just lived in my head for a long time. I wonder how many of us are living in our head because we don't know how to deal with this. Because in the head it's quiet. You can control that world. You can, you can really have your hand on that one. But when you start allowing this to be felt, you don't have all the control. And so we have to ask the question, so emotion, what are emotions? You know, culture today says you are what you feel. You are your emotions. That's what culture says. That's actually not very biblical. That's very modern. That's very postmodern thought. A biblical perspective on your emotions is this. You're a human living in a broken world, and you need Jesus to disciple your emotions. Let me say this again. You are not what you feel. What you experience emotionally is not what defines you. What it means is you are a human being living in a broken world that needs Jesus to disciple that. You know, when you look at the gospel, there's one person that is um, really, really fun to talk about. His name is Peter. And Peter, um, Peter felt deeply. Let's just put it that way. Peter was a guy that felt deeply and everyone knew it. I mean, when you tried to arrest Jesus, he chopped your ear off. I mean, he had some deep emotion, like he was willing to kill. He had bad aim, but he was willing to kill. But he chopped your ear off. When he sees Jesus out on the water in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, he's the first one getting out of the boat. And he eventually starts to sink and Jesus saves him. He's the only one that rebukes Jesus. You have to feel deeply to have the guts to (laughs) rebuke Jesus. So here we have this idea that Peter was incredibly, he felt everything. Like he had the hardest time not feeling. And that's the guy that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church with this guy. I'm going to build a church on this rock. What did Peter do? He submitted his life to Jesus so he could be discipled, not just in his mind, not just in his body, and not just in his spirit, but in his soul, the very essence of who he is. And when Peter submitted himself to Jesus, Jesus was able to disciple him Take all of that raw emotion and we able to curate it, cultivate it, actually increase it. And we are here today because Jesus said, I'm building my church on this guy right here. What's my point? The goal isn't to feel less emotions. The goal is to actually feel more. And some of you, that's terrifying. You're like, so this tornado now going to go from a cat two to a cat five? In some ways, yes. But what we're talking about, I think if I asked the question, who wants to be fully alive in this room? I think everyone would say, that would be me. No one would say, no, I want to be half alive. Everyone's going to be like, I want to be fully alive. In order to understand being fully alive, you have to fully understand the emotional makeup of who you are as a human being. In May of 2018, I was in a unique season of my own life where I, I, as a pattern for the last 20 years up until I was 42 years old at the, time, at the time, I have had a leadership coach in my life, someone that I've met with once, twice, three times a year, and I would get homework assignments on growing as a leader. It's just a habit I started in my young 20s, and it continues today. And I, a pro, I wanted uh, right around beginning of uh, 2018, I hired a leadership coach from a leadership organization, a very reputable one, and some of you probably have heard of this, uh, just a very reputable, reputable leadership organization. and they basically coach leaders all over. This particular guy was introduced to me by a friend of mine, and he's now become a, a friend of mine. And he coached Division One athletes, Division I coaches, uh, some of the largest churches, the pastors, of the largest churches in the nation, as well as different organizations and CEOs, all of who you would know today. And I, got, I got, was able to meet with this guy, and I said, will you coach me for the next year? It wasn't cheap, but, it, but he said yes. And so, and part of his process, as he starts his coaching process, he has you take a test, which is called the 360 Profile. And some of you might be familiar with this. And what it is, is you send this test, this questions, to six people in your life. So you send it to two people that you're leading, two people that are peers in your life, and then two people that are like fathers and mothers or maybe boss or manager in your life. And so what you're doing, all this feedback comes in, and it's put together in a really cool, you know, data stuff. And you basically are getting 360-degree feedback on you as a person. And then you take the same test. So it's really interesting because you get to see what you th- how you see yourself and how everybody's experiencing you. And that's the areas of focus of growth. So I took the test. I've taken, I think, three or four times prior to this. Some of you are like, ooh, I want to take that. It's actually really insightful. And so I took the test. I get a call from my new leadership coach two weeks later. He said, hey, I got the test, the results from the test. And I was excited, like, yep, yeah, because I, I just, just I love growing as a leader. So he called me up and he said, I got your results, but I have to tell you, Eric, you are in the top two hardest leadership dynamics I have ever come across. And I'm sitting on a phone, I'm like, oh, yeah. It was actually super validating. It was so validating. I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, that's, and I was just so encouraged. I remember thinking, I can't wait to call my wife after this and brag. That was literally a thought I had. And he's telling me why, and he I'm what are the reasons? And he lifted him out. I'm like, yeah, that makes actually that's yeah, that's actually spot on. And I hung up the phone, I called Candace, and I'm all excited. I'm all I remember where I was, I remember it vividly. Called, hey, you wouldn't believe it. My coach just told me X, Y, and Z. And I don't remember what she said, but I'm just like super encouraged. So I hung up the phone, and all of a sudden, my entire world began to crash. It was the first time in a really long time, actually maybe ever, I gave myself permission to feel. I gave myself permission. It was actually forced on me. This is really hard to navigate everything that I'm navigating. By the next morning, uh, I am now having chest pains, full-blown chest pain. Now, at the time, I thought it was something I ate which is usually the first, like, oh, thought my ate, you know, I just kind of feel pressure. Well, when two or three weeks go by, it's like, mm, that wasn't the pizza I ate two or three weeks ago. Something else was going on here. And about a couple weeks in, I, t- I tell Candace, I said, um, something's up. I am feeling so much pressure on my chest. It's now 24-7. So this is the May of 2018. We now get into June 24-7 chest pressure, and we get into July and around all of this time, I, we met with our, our executive team at the time, about four or five people. And I'm telling, hey, guys, I'm, you know, I'm just telling them everything. I didn't know much at the moment, but I knew enough to say something's up. And looking back, I was basically having a mental, emotional break is what was happening. And I said, um, and so the team took all my responsibilities, everything. The only thing that I kept um, was Speaking. It was the only thing I got excited about. Everything else just triggered me massively. So I get into July, and then the car fire happened. And for those of you that don't know what that is, the car fire was a forest fire that came through Redding. and took out 1,200 homes in Redding, California. And 40-something percent of our city was evacuated. It was an absolute disaster. And it was a fire tornado. I mean, you can go look it on the news. It was, it was horrible. So now we've got this massive disaster, natural disaster happening in our city. A um, bunch of our churches, you know, evacuated. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just chaotic. And so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just, you know, we're just sucking it up, if you will. So July comes. Now by the time we get to August, I had lost all control of thought processes that by now, my entire goal was to get up in the morning and be as numb as possible. Like Because if anything triggered me, it would turn into panic or anxiety. And if it started at nine in the morning, I just knew it would get worse as the day went on because I couldn't stop it. It was just a loop. It would just loop over and over and over. I couldn't control it. Couldn't stop it. So I had a, obviously had a mental, emotional break. And... By now, uh, my obviously my chest pains are just, it just became a normal thing. And finally, you know, cause I had, well, we were slowly just trying to figure out what to do. Finally, like, I need I, I need help. This isn't working. This is getting worse. And my entire goal was to not get triggered. And like animal hair, like we have dog and a couple cats and For some reason, I had this traumatic experience with animal hair. I don't know when it happened, but I have this issue with animal hair on hardwood floors. Anybody relate to me on this? Am I the only? Okay, good. Thank you. You get me? Totally get me. Yes. And so I would come home or I'd be at home and there'd be like, you know, animal hair on the hardwood floor and I would go into a panic attack. Just anxiety. (laughs) I vacuumed a lot in that season. I'll just tell you that much. If I looked outside and looked at my grass, I love my lawn. I'm, I'm a lawn guy. I like beautiful yards. And I love mowing in perfect lines. It's just, it's just my thing. And if a line was off, and I mowed. I'm the one that did the mowing. And if the line wasn't straight, I'd go into an anxiety panic attack. So that was my life. It had gotten to that point. So my goal was just to be numb. So finally I'd say, I need help. I need ASAP. And so I got connected to a, a therapist who had done a beautiful mix of therapy, psychology, psychiatry, as well as the Holy Spirit. I didn't want somebody that only, this is going to sound funny to you. If you need explanation, I just pray you understand. I didn't want somebody that just had the power of the Holy Spirit. I needed someone that had a skill set to get in there. And I'm not undermining the Holy Spirit. I think what I'm trying to say is sometimes you need to do the soul work as well. Can the Holy Spirit do that? 100%. But I was stuck. I was like, I need some skill sets here. And now this therapist has become, I'm her, she called me her MVC, most valuable client. Cause I have sent, shoot, 100, 200 people to her over the last three years. She likes me a lot now. <laughs> she always did. Started meeting with her in August. And she, she had worked, you know, she we're talking, doing therapy once a week and doing that. And about the end of August, early September, the chest pain subsided. And I started thinking, oh, I'm doing good. All right, I'm back. I'm like, I'm good. And she's like, oh, we haven't even started. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm feeling good. She's like, oh, do you realize that you can't do anything in your life except for stay at home? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have any responsibilities. Like, nothing triggers me because I have no responsibilities. And she said, we haven't even started. So now we're like in the middle, third week of September, and the, sol- the deep work is starting. And we, I was feeling like I just wanted to have friends over for dinner. And Kenneth and I, we have a beautiful property, and our backyard was just epic. And we love hosting big barbecue parties. And I was obviously five, you know, what, four or five months into this thing, was like, I just want to be around friends. And so we organized this backyard barbecue party at our house. And it normally takes us about two or three hours to set up the backyard. We got the table for days, lights, and we just make it fire pits, and we just make it look awesome. And it usually takes me about two or three hours to set it up. But because of my condition, I couldn't handle, I couldn't go at fast pace. So I said, this will take me about six or eight hours. So I had the whole day planned out. I said, by one o'clock, I'm going to take a nap, and then I'll finish up, and then everybody comes over. So I'm just having a great morning. I'm excited to see friends. I'm just in this raw space, and I'm just, you know, obviously in the thick of this journey. And about noon, 1230, I go into the garage to get a drill because I'm fixing something in the backyard. So I walk in the garage, and we have a half bathroom in our garage. And when I walked in, there's raw sewage is all over the floor of my garage, like just, and we, we were on a septic tank because we live out in the country a little bit. So now we've got, like, raw sewage all over. And my red line just went, whew. I went to panic, anxiety attack. I run out, and I Candace is in the backyard. And I'm, she's like, what's going on? I said, the toilet's backed up. And I am, she can tell you her side of the story, but I am going 100 miles an hour, redlining, panicking, freaking out. And the septic tank is in our yard. So it's underneath the yard that we, I love. like It's perfect, perfect grass perfect lines, everything perfect. So now I got to dig up and find the access to this septic tank while I'm trying to figure out, we got to get somebody over here. And I'm panicking. My wife's like, it's all right. We'll call somebody. I'm like, we got to get this. And I'm just, I'm redlining. I'm just panic attacked. And I couldn't find, I found the shovel, but I couldn't find the pick. And I'm having this full blown panic attack because I can't find the pick. And I'm running out to the shed. I'm running all over. And she's like, Eric, calm down. I'll go buy a new pick. I'm like, all right, you go buy a new pick. And I just started digging up the yard. So now I'm panicking because I'm digging up the yard. So I'm like in full-blown, just out of control. And I'm calling people. And they say, oh, we can't come till Monday. I said, I need someone now because people are coming over tonight. I finally called this company Big Valley Sanitation, big chrome poop truck. And they pull up the driveway an hour and a half later. So now I've been redlining for about an hour and a half, full-blown panic attack. And the, the truck pulls in the driveway, and so I'm out there. I go out there, and this big guy gets out. His name is Raul. Raul gets out of his truck, great big guy. And he looks at me, and he goes, hey, you all right? And that's when I really knew, oh, I'm not good at all. And I said, I'm not. And i just, you know, been panicking. He comes over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and looks me in the eyes. And he said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I wanted to jump in his arms. (laughs) I wanted to say, hold me and can I kiss you? Can you just just hold me? That's literally in my head like, I want to jump in your arms and I want to give you a kiss. You are the kindest human on earth right now. And uh, he said, I'll take care of it. I said, okay, all right, all right. And I said, well, meet me, because we had fit acres. So I said, just meet me around the corner, blah, blah, blah. So he goes to work, and my yard is tore up. I had dug like three holes, and septic tanks are only like six to eight inches under the surface. I was digging like two feet down. I mean, I, I was a backhoe, <laughs> just doing my own excavation. So I go in the backyard and I'm just like trying to get my heart, re- I'm just trying to get myself calmed down because it's been an a-, a long hour and a half. So he goes to work and he's pumping our septic tank out and I'm just trying to calm down, putting around, just trying to find my norm again. And then he, I, he said, Eric, come over here. I want to talk to you about what's going on. I said, sure. So I walk over. And again, there's an access to, into a 1,500-gallon septic tank. And it's like a movie. I was looking down the tank, and he's talking to me. telling me what he did, what happened, blah, blah, blah. And as he's talking, his voice just drowns out. And I don't hear his voice anymore, but he's talking to me. And I heard the Lord say, Eric, this is what I'm doing to you. I'm pumping crap out of you. Now, did the Lord say crap? He did to me. And I said, all right. And that's when I knew this was going to begin the dark night of my soul for the next three months. So we get into like September or October and I am, uh, I am uh, fragile. I'm really fragile. Um, in October, the Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me twice. I'm pumping all this stuff out of you. And then in October, he said, Eric, you're, I'm giving you a new operating system. The one you've had got you to this point in life, it served you well. But where I'm taking you, it won't work anymore. It's all right. So stuff getting pumped out and a whole new operating system. So now November comes around and we're, you know, I could share, I mean, this is obviously a condensed version. There's one, one session with my therapist. She said, I don't know what she said, it wasn't offensive. She was just, you know, she's doing what therapists do, ask questions and get down in your soul. And she asked me this question, and I don't know how to describe it to you, but it's like this monster woke up inside me. And it just this, this emotion was so strong. I just, it was like this monster woke up inside me. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, we're not going there today, told my counselor. We're not going there today. She said, we need to. I said, nope, not today. I don't know. I can't do it. Can't do it. She's like, fine. Next time we meet, I said, fine. I, had, I needed some control. I got it. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right, but that's just where I was at. And so the next session, she asked me, kind of went right there instantly. And this monster was anger. The level of anger that came out of my soul was alarming. It was so, for me, it was so scary. Like, what is this? And it was terrifying. And I learned through the whole process that my, my narrative around anger, a lot of emotion, but this one just for now, was you're not supposed to be angry, and you're not allowed to be angry. And I legitimately thought that was the Holy Spirit. That was literally the narrative, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit for 42 years of living. So I never fully felt anger, just found ways to dodge it. And there's one time she asked me some questions and then I'm like formulating an answer. I'm like, well, you know, it's like, and I'm like kind of just slowly articulating this response to her. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I want to make sure I get it right when it comes out of my mouth. She said, stop editing your thoughts. I wanted to project something. Just like Jacob, I want to project what I want you to see. But I don't want you to actually see who I am. So we get into, so now we're like, it was the dark night of the soul. We get into early December. So now we're eight months in. And uh, I, I don't know how to describe it other than I was just emotionally numb, but I was, I was leaning in. And so we get into early December. There was a 10 day stretch that was the last 10 days. It was, it was the worst by far. And the last three days in particular were just horrible. It was my personal hell, at least this stage in life. And um, one evening, I go out to the garage to get some dog food for my dog. And I, get, I go out, and I walk in the garage, and the septic is now backed up again. There is raw sewage all over my garage again. Now, to be honest with you, I had no emotion to respond with. I was like, there, nothing was left. I've been stripped down to nothing. I looked at the, the sewage, and I'm like, okay, all right. I walk back in the house, and I go, Candace and the girls were sitting there. I said, the toilet's backed up again, and it's all over the garage. And she looked at me like, didn't know if I was going to panic, anxiety. I said, I'm all right, but we just need to get this. She's like, yep, we'll, just, we'll get it fixed Mom. Great. So I wasn't panicking, which is progress. And then I call a plumber. He comes over, and it wasn't the septic tank. It, I don't want to go into the detail because it's rather gross. But anyway, it needed to be clean. The lines needed to be clean. So he spent about 20 minutes cleaning out the line with the snake and he's doing a job and I'm back in the house just hanging out with the family and then he knocks on the door. Eric, can you come out real quick? I want to show you what happened. I said, sure. So I go outside and he shows me what he's doing and again, the same scene happened all over again. He's talking to me but his voice drowns out and I hear the Lord say this and that will take care of it. And so I woke up the next morning. I knew everything changed but I would naked to the core. And it took me about nine to 12 months to fully kind of get back to a new capacity. I want you to make a note of that, a new capacity. And I really struggle with, I don't have the same capacity as I did before this. And my therapist told me, it's because it was filled with a lot of crap. It's like, oh, that makes sense. So I spent the next nine to 12 months just rebuilding an oper- or getting a new operating system. So tonight, I wanna to give you some tools that I think will be helpful. And again, this is, this is a much longer story, but I wanna give you a couple tools that were really helpful. When I would in the chest pains and when, it, when they went away, I could make them come back. Like it, was, it didn't take much. I could just have a certain thought and my chest just felt so much pressure. And so my therapist, she said, "I want you to not avoid that pain. I want you to actually go into it." I'm like, all right, what did that look like? She said, "Well, when it comes, don't to avoid it. Don't like try to get out of it. Like just sit in it." Like, all right. And then she said, "When you're feeling it, instead of trying to get out of it, ask God what He says about it." I'm like, all right. So this was like, I think, August all the way to December. Every morning, with the exception of a few, I would get up at 5.45 a.m., cup of coffee, my Bible, and I would sit on the corner of my couch before the house was awake, and there was a lamp. Me, my Bible, my coffee, and my couch. And I would sit there. And like I said, I could make this chest pain come. I could could make it come. And so every morning I sat there, and I would just go, okay, I'm going to go into this. And what I did in my mind is I imagined I was in a long room. On the other side of the room, there was a table. And when I, when I would feel the pain, I would, I would identify what caused that. And it was different. Sometimes it was an experience I had. Sometimes it was an instance or something someone said or a situation. And there were obviously dozens of them because it took me months to get through at least that part. And I would put this thing on the other end of the room on the table. And then in my mind, I would walk towards the table and I would ask God, what do you say about that? And by the time I got to the table, it would be gone. And that's when I knew that he took care of it. So sitting in it and getting a new narrative on it was one of the biggest tools I have ever received in my life. It went from Having to do it every morning for 30 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, two hours of just sitting in it to where now in a moment I can sit in the pain and I can acknowledge what it is and give respect to it. And I think that's the challenge with our emotions. We're told not to respect our emotions. And so if we're not defined by our emotions, if, we're not, if that's not who we are, then what an, a beautiful opportunity to give our emotions and recognize I'm a human being living in a broken world. And this is every emotion that we experience is an invitation to God. Every experience that you experience is actually God saying, come closer. And what's crazy is, is he's, he's not scared of it. Some of you might be really angry with God, but you've never given yourself permission to be angry. Perhaps you need to take that anger and go sit with him. Perhaps you need to go sit with him in a cave that he's in. The challenge with caves is if God isn't inviting you into the cave, we create our own caves. It's called Netflix. It's called alcohol. It's called friends. It's called get myself so busy so I don't feel it anymore. It's called I'm going to go live in my head. But there are caves where the Lord is actually asking you to come in like he did to Elijah in First Kings. God led Elijah to a cave so Elijah could be confronted with himself. So I want to challenge you. Invite God into your worst pain. Some of you, honestly, tonight, you may need to go home and just sit in it for a moment. And instead of trying to scrap your way out of it, just feel it. And then ask God to meet you right in it. And I wonder if if our goal has always been, I don't want to limp. I don't want to limp in life. I don't want people to see my limp. I, I, so so instead, of, instead of limping and instead of being okay with a limp, I'm just going to project what I want you all to see. And I think this is what we do as humans because we've created cultures around, especially in an American culture. We like to achieve, we like to project, we like to look great. I tell people, if people say, Hey, how are you doing? And our classic response is, I'm great. I just say make sure at least somebody knows how you're really doing. I understand you can't have a conversation with every human about the deepest parts of your soul every time they ask you, hey, how are you doing today? It's not sometimes the time and place doesn't make sense. But make sure you have patterns in your life where people actually know how you're really doing. So we have to be okay with a limp. So I'm up here with a limp. It's a huge limp. It's shaped me. It's formed me. And I can be honest with you, I have never been this fully alive in my life as I am today. Being fully alive isn't only having great emotions. Being fully alive isn't only being happy, excited, elated. That's only half of being human. I love the tension in this room right now. The other half of being human is angry, grieving, sad, deeply sad, terrified, scared. But again, that doesn't define you. It's not who you are. It's just you're a human living in a broken world, and it's another opportunity for Jesus to disciple you. It's another opportunity to go to him. As a good father, bringing your stuff to him, saying, God, I don't know how to do with this anger. I don't know what to do with how angry I am or how scared I am or how terrified I am. He's the one you bring this to. And guess what? In these moments, sometimes it's not a moment. Sometimes it's months. Sometimes it's a while. Sometimes it's longer than what you expect, which brings up my next point. Don't put a timeline on your process. I met with a friend this last week. And she was telling me just what she's processing, It's a lot of stuff. And I'm very well aware of what she's going through as far as, she's very close to us. And she says, man, I really want to get this taken care of in the next week, because something's coming in about a week. I got to focus on that. And I just said, hey, I want to encourage you, don't put a timeline on your process. So if our goal is to just get out of it, then we put timeline. But if our goal is to be okay with the limp, then we become fully alive and we become blessed. I'm going to post tonight after this gathering uh, a graphic that I got from John Tyson. And John puts um, this gra- he put it up on Instagram a while ago and I screenshot it and I was saving it for tonight. And I'll put it, I didn't have time to really put a slideshow together. But it's a graphic, and I'll put it on my account tonight. And it's basically a graphic of all the emotions in the book of Psalms. It's like 60-something emotions. Now, how many emotions are there in humanity? I don't know. There's a lot. I'll just say that. And the whole point is, why, why is Psalm one of the most loved books in the Bible? Because it's the most relatable one to all of humanity. Sometimes Ecclesiastes is a really good book to read. But the book of Psalms, they say every emotion known to man is in the book of Psalms. So I'll post it tonight, and you can look at it. I encourage you. It's actually pretty helpful. And what's brilliant about it is David was very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was fully alive. The guy knew how to communicate his emotions. He knew how to communicate in song and poetry. He had a massive outlook, and that's the book of Psalms right there. What's beautiful about it is sometimes the psalm would end with going to God, and sometimes that was it. He was okay, and this is the guy that God said, that guy's after my heart. So we have to understand that there's something that we need to recapture in our lives today. That to be, to be fully human, to be fully alive, is to be aware that we are designed to experience emotions. What we do with them is one of the greatest opportunities and invitation to go to him. So why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for everyone. I'm going to end with a quote, two quotes, and then I'll pray. One of the most important fathers of the early church, Irenaeus said once, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And then there was a Catholic mystic named Thomas Merton. And um, he makes this quote in reference to some Christian beliefs. Sometimes our Christian beliefs merely deaden our humanity instead of setting it free to develop richly in all its capacities under the influence of grace. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room tonight. And I recognize this is a fascinating and challenging topic all at the same time. And I pray that anything that needs clarity, anything that needs just to be said differently, that you would do that tonight. And I pray that this room right here, everybody in this room, that this would not be an area of our life that's the last thing that we pay attention to. But it's something that we pay attention to as much as we pay attention to our sleep, what we eat, how we spend our time. That our emotional mental health becomes important in this moment. And recognizing that being fully alive means we experience these emotions. It doesn't mean it's who we are. It doesn't define us. But rather it's an invitation to come to you of trying to live in a broken world. And you actually teach us how to be human again. You teach us how to be a new human, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. So I pray for a grace on everyone in this room right now. As we go home tonight, as we process this, as we sit on this, as we dwell on it, that you would give us, you would like open the doors, the gates, so we can step into being fully alive as humans and as a church. And I bless, I bless your hearts, I bless your souls, I bless your mind tonight, and I recognize this is, a, this is a delicate topic for some of us. Because you might be going, Eric, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. But I can tell you, Jesus does. And Jesus is the one that's waiting for you to come to him. And so I bless everyone in this room. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. listening to today's talk if you're interested in learning more about studio here in greenville you can check out our website studiogreenville.com and you can give us a follow on instagram our handle is studio.greenville have a great week